This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. It's time for another episode of your women's basketball podcast, Around the Rim, brought to you by ESPNW. I am your host, LaChina Robinson, and making all this work and come together so beautifully is our producer, Tarika Brasby, and we are in the playoff push. We've got tons to cover in today's show, so buckle up. We are not going to hesitate. We're not going to cross over. There's no behind the back. We're not going off the bounce. We're going straight to the rim in the first quarter with Rebecca Lobo. First quarter. We have with us the expert of all experts to do that. Um, Rebecca Lobo is back and joining the show. Welcome, Rebecca. Oh, I'd love to be back. Thanks. Uh, so happy to have you. Obviously, fans, for those of you that don't know, this is the Rebecca Lobo, um, also known as LaBecca, as I like to call her sometimes, or B, just depending on the day. But UConn great, ESPN analyst on college and WNBA basketball. I mean, Rebecca's done so much. I mean, I didn't even know. You have a book, Rebecca? Are you kidding me? Oh, that was written a long time ago. Can I just say, I think everyone before their name should add the so, like, when, when you have kids, just have the first name be V and then whatever, you know, their middle and last name is. It just right. Good. It does. It's like, it's like you're somebody important automatically by – and then you separate right. yourself from other possible Rebeccas. Like, there are no yep. other Lachinas. So, I may not need the V, but you are the Rebecca. So, oh, yeah. I, you know what? Got... if we looked it up, there are probably plenty of people who have named their child V. So, <laughs> that would be our homework to find out how many are out there. Right. Right, exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, an exciting time, a crazy time for the WNBA, the 20th season, as we are in a tight race to the finish um, as we head do- towards the playoffs. So let's start there. Um, you know, a couple weeks left in the regular season, and then we head into the playoffs. Uh, what three things are you looking forward to most as we head down the stretch into the postseason? Oh, what I'm looking forward to, one, is just kind of to see how everything's going to um finish out with the playoff format which I know we're going to talk about later but it just makes everything so much more exciting you know every game matters so much um, for these last eight games uh, and so I, I'm just I'm excited to see how all of that's going to shake out not only who makes it into the playoffs but the matchups because with the one game um, elimination matchups become so important so that's one another one is I'm eager to see LA and see if they can kind of get the groove back that they had earlier in the season when they and Minnesota were just head and shoulders above everybody else. Um, That's not the case anymore. And L.A. just doesn't seem to quite be where they were. So I'm eager to see if they can get that back. Um, And uh, and then Phoenix, I'm I'm anxious or eager to see them as well. I mean, they played so well since the Olympic break. I think everybody – um, has been waiting, you know, this is such a dangerous roster. Are they going to get it together? Are they going to get it together? And it seems like they have. So, uh, you know, kind of where they fall in terms of their playoff matchups, because that's one team I would definitely not want to see, especially in a single oh, elimination. No, no, no. You do not want to want to have to play Phoenix in that situation with the way they've played. Let's start there. Okay. With the Phoenix Mercury, because, I, you know, okay, a couple things shock me, then a couple things don't. It doesn't shock me that Diana Taurasi is playing at the next level. I think she was ignited by the Olympics, definitely the MVP of the Olympic Games, the best player by a long stretch. Um, Really was great as a leader. We were like, oh, Diana's back, because she didn't look like that 
before the Olympics, you know, I mean, she was, she had her moments, but consistently we were kind of like, eh, you know, what's going on in Phoenix obviously didn't have the start that everyone expected. So I'm not surprised by that. I am surprised that their supporting cast has come together so well. And Rebecca, we may look back at this and say, did the movement that Sandy Brondello made with bringing in um, Lindsay Harding, you know, with also the Kelsey Bone addition, you know, getting some, I mean, they're, uh, they're additional Olympians, you know, Martha Charguide, how she's playing in Sonia Petrovic, the supporting cast to me has been outstanding. Um, the way they've defended, you know, early on, I thought Phoenix relied so heavily on their starting lineup, but I think this second unit has given them a punch. And that's probably the part that has surprised me. Why do you think they're, they're playing at this next level now? Uh, I think you, you've hit a big piece of it right, right head on. I think that, I think, well, number one, they, their defense came around or is coming around. It's not quite there yet, but it's a lot closer. I mean, when they won a championship, it's because their defense had improved. They'd always had the offense, and their defense two years ago was what was key. At the beginning of the season, their defense was terrible. Their perimeter defense was terrible. Diana did not seem engaged to me on the defensive end of the floor. Um, so their defense is coming around. I think their veterans, um, something has changed. And, you know, when you watch them early on, I think Griner was tired. Uh, you know, that's one thing Sandy mentioned to me early in the year, was this the first time BG has played a full uh, off-season overseas? You know, she went for her, uh, uh, early on she went to China, and that's a short season. Well, last year she was in Russia. It was a full season, and it looked like it took its toll early. She just didn't have the step, you know. The, uh, mm-hmm. You talked about it in your telecast last week, the difference in her blocks early in the season versus late. And I think that's just a matter of fatigue. And whatever it is, it seems like she um, has that bounce back. And uh, and they just seem more engaged. I mean, Diana Trossi is one player who wears every emotion on her sleeve. And since the Olympics, uh, and she's come back from the Olympics, she has that joy about her again. And when she is out there having fun, I think not only makes her a better player, but I think all of her teammates feed off of that. And that sort of seemed to be missing early in the year. And um, not saying that it's her fault. Maybe it's because of whatever the dynamic was on the team, or maybe it was uh, some fatigue because the bench hadn't come alive the way they have more recently. Um, but there's definitely been a change in her, and she is you know, the best leader uh, or one of the top leaders in, in the game. And, um, and I think her teammates so feed off of that. Uh, and, you know, it, it's just been very different for her and for them, um, especially since the Olympic break. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head, too, with Brittany, because since she has gotten better defensively, the team has gotten better defensively. I mean, back-to-back defensive player of the year, she was nothing close to that, um, you know, beforehand. I think it's definitely helped them. And, and you're right as well about about Diana. I mean, she has definitely been just so different. And you have to look at the fact that, hey, Penny Taylor has announced she's retiring. And I think this this whole team, the organization, fans, everyone has so much respect for Penny. And if this is going to be her last go round the WNBA, I'm sure everyone would like to see her go out on a high note. So there's a little bit more sense of urgency, I think, as well, since she announced her retirement. Now, Rebecca, let's change gears a little bit to the other team you talked about, the LA sparks do you think there is there should be major concern in LA and if so why um I think there should be some concern 
you know, going into their game against San Antonio, I was like, all right, let's kind of feel this one out. If they lose against San Antonio, um, there's reason for concern. And watching that game, they were kind of lucky to win. L.A. does not look like the dominant team they did early. I think some of it, a lot of it starts defensively. They had become a lockdown defensive team, and, and that fueled their transition, and they were so good in transition. They were sharing the ball. They were beautiful on the pick and roll. And um, and that isn't quite there right now, and um, and I'm not sure why that is, but um, but it but it's not, and uh, and so I think you know they have to have um, some concern, and I think the reason for that is this: um, this is an LA team before this year that has had always had great pieces. And it was the question always was with their chemistry, when are they going to get it together? Um, when are they going to get the chemistry that's going to make them a championship team? Well, they had that chemistry without question early on in the year. But I think what would give you more pause uh, than if it was another team, it's like, are they falling back into the LA of old? Or are, are, is their, their identity that they had for the first 21 games of the season their true self? And I think that's what is, um, is something that we kind of need to feel out the, the last week. Of course, they're still really talented and they're dangerous and NECA is amazing. Um, but my, my question is, all right, which chemistry uh, is going to be the one that pre- prevails for this team? Is it the, the chemistry we saw early this year or um, for most of this year, or is it the chemistry we've seen for the past three or four years? Yeah, and you bring up a very good point because let's just face it, everyone else has gotten better. Like, I, I feel like this was a year in the WNBA where there was some teams that started out and you're like, eh, you know, this is not what we expected. But I think with the Olympic break, with time to practice, with just maturity and time together, Phoenix has gotten better. You know, Connecticut has gotten better. I mean, heck, even missing some key pieces, San Antonio looks like they've gotten better um, since yeah. the Olympic break. So, you know, teams are, are, are getting better. So I think L.A., the Minnesota, they're going to get more challenges. Seattle, I mean, you call the Seattle-Minnesota game. I think they look better. And then that's without even Stewie really being in much of a rhythm, coming back, being tired, coming off the Olympics so teams have gotten better so LA now then has to raise their level of play and to me they've digressed and here's the three areas that are that concern me let me just say this off the top I don't think Essence Carson is the player or has been the player in their losses that she was early on the season you know I think she's made some key defensive mistakes She's had some moments where I'm like, okay, she was so in tune with this group to start the year. I think that is some a, a player that's going to be key to whether or not they get back on track. But you're absolutely right about their defense, in particular from the three-point line, has not been very good. Um, you know, they, they've struggled to, to keep – the ball handlers out of the paint during during stretches and even their what Brian Agler calls point of screen defense has just been bad like no urgency uh, the communication hasn't been good and that does fuel their offense and the other side of that is they're better when they hit threes you know when they're able to to hit the long shot they were number one in the league I, I don't know if they're still there as of today but for most of the season and three-point field goal percentage. And that allowed them to open the floor. It gave NECA a place to uh, work on the interior and also 
um, gave, you know, Candace Parker some middle of the floor range and they haven't been as good from long range in terms of the number of threes and even their percentages. They're, they've given more up to their opponents. So I think that's an area. But Rebecca, the one place that I would say, I think, and you tell me how important this is in your opinion, the bench play, you know, how their bench is contributing, how consistently um, they are contributing it could really put them behind a New York and behind a Minnesota because those are two teams that are getting more from their supporting cast. And I just feel like Brian Agler outside of Jantel Lavender, I'm not exactly sure that they know what to get from who. Uh, as For example, I was watching their win at Minnesota, and Dublovich was a huge part of that. She played very well in that game. Well, what's happened to her since? Um, how big of a concern is that for you versus their starting unit getting getting their rhythm back? Uh, well, before I get down, I'm going to say quickly, because you talked about, you know, all the other teams getting better. Early in the season, I thought L.A., Minnesota, head and shoulders above everybody. And then before the Olympic break, I really thought like that gap had started to close. Um, mm-hmm. Come back from the Olympic break, you know, Minnesota did not play well, did not look good at Connecticut. To be expected, they had their four Olympians gone the whole time. But second game back against Seattle, they kind of found their groove. So I think L.A. didn't have as much room to improve as other teams did, but I completely agree that they've kind of gone in, in the other direction. And I, I mm-hmm. 100% agree with you in terms of the bench. I think that's one area where Minnesota really has um, – has the advantage on LA is that Minnesota is getting a ton from its bench this year. And so not only the numbers they're providing in terms of, um, you know, minutes played and points, but that lets all those starters, especially those Olympians or anybody who's banged up, um, get a little bit more rest than they would. And, and you're right out in LA, you know, Lavender has been outstanding. One of the main candidates for sixth player of the year. She's been consistently great and, and deserves so much credit to go from a starting huge all-star role a year ago to accepting her role off the bench. Um, but you're right. You know, you kind of know what, what you're going to get from Chelsea Gray. Um, but it was interesting, too, in, in L.A.'s game against San Antonio. I don't know if Essence Carson even played in the second half. Um, I was sitting there watching the game, like, where's Essence? And she's over on the bench, and she still had her shirt, shooting shirt on. So I don't remember if she played early in the third quarter. But, um, you know, you're just wondering what um, kind of what's going on there. And uh, and I agree. And, you know, you go back to what we were talking about with Phoenix and, and the contributions they're getting from their bench. I think it becomes important, especially if injury, if even a small injury like an ankle sprain is going to play a role in the playoffs, especially with the system we have this year. I think it's important to have that bench. And, and when you look at the teams in the WNBA, I wouldn't say that, you know, L.A. is in the top tier in terms of the contributions they get from their bench outside of Lavender. Yeah, and, and when you look at these teams, I mean, some of the games against the top teams have been ugly, and I think it's because they're so well-coached and they're so well-prepared. So that X factor becomes that much more important because, you know, if you're a Sandy Brondello or if – you know, you're a Brian Agler or if you're a Cheryl Reeve, you're going to take away or Bill Lambert, you're going to take away the other team's number one, two, and even sometimes third option. So then where do you go? Or if there's foul trouble, NECA has had some foul trouble this year. Brittany Griner has had some foul trouble this year. So you start to look at those key components and kind of, you know, what happens from there. Okay, so we've got to move on. And we want to talk about playoffs. So with that, let's head into the second quarter. Second quarter, inside the huddle. Now, Rebecca, I'm going to let you 
from a looking from and you can wear all the hats because you've worn all of them but from a player standpoint and then just as a, even a, a fan of the game what do you like and what do you not like about the new playoff system all right i'll start as an analyst and as a fan i mean i like everything about the new playoff system i like everything i like that it's made the the entire season every game matters so much these last nine games Everything matters so much, not only to get into the playoffs, but, you know, it, teams won't be resting. You know, those first two spots are so coveted. It's the only way to not have a single elimination game. I think it's it co- combines everything that's good about the NCAA tournament in terms of a single elimination, plus everything that's great about the NBA finals in terms of the semifinals and finals being five-game series. As a fan, as an analyst, I love it. The excitement is, is through the roof. As a player, I would, if I if I'm in a team that's competing for the third or fourth spot, I'm not happy. You know, if you if you're with New York, and and you know if New York wins, you know, 24 games, but finishes in third, they could play one playoff game and their season could be over. And um, and so as a player, you're like, wait a minute. As hard as we work, it comes down to single elimination. And and I think um, the game that that we saw with New York and Indiana is a perfect example. You know, Indiana came out gangbusters. New York is injured. You know, they don't have a couple of their starters. They don't have Tanisha Wright playing. And um, and they get blown out. I mean, if you you could have a situation like that come the playoffs. One team is really hot, one team is hobbled, and your season's over. So as a player, I would have kind of a hard time with it. But everybody else should be thrilled <laughs> yeah. with um, with the way it's going. Yeah, there, I'm really excited about it for that reason. The one and done, and Rebecca, you and I both covered the NCAA tournament. It's like the best thing ever. It's like lay it out on the line, who's the best, who's not. And, you know, and, and talking to some players, it's like in, in a series, the best team usually rises to the top, right, over time. But for one night, you can beat any team. That's what makes home court advantage, I think, that much more important. Just to remind fans about the playoff system this year, the top eight seeds based on winning percentage will qualify for the playoffs no matter what conference you're in. So we could see two Western Conference teams go uh, play in the finals for the first time. And then the top two seeds get a double bye to the semifinals. The third and fourth seed get a bye to the second round. And then the teams are reseeded after each round. First two rounds are single elimination, and it's the best of five for the semifinals and the finals. Rebecca, this is one thing that I thought of, though. The question is always to rest or not to rest, okay? Does that long break for the one and two seeds hurt you or does it help you? Everyone likes rest, but at the same time, when you're going that long without playing a game, you're watching everybody else, you may be getting out of rhythm. Is it that much of an advantage? Because I'm going to tell you this, a team that has to win two single elimination games, that's a confident team, right? I mean, that's a team that's like, dude, we had to, we had to fight it out. Like, can you believe, you know, we won two single elimination games. Like we were facing elimination twice in advance. So that's a dangerous team. So I don't know. I mean, it depends on your philosophy and maybe how you see it. And I guess we'll find out, but I don't know if that rest is really going to be a big advantage. Well, I think you look at it this way, though, at least if it plays out uh, the way it looks like it's going to play out with uh, L.A. and Minnesota. 
both of those teams are veteran teams. Both of those teams have veteran players who could use the rest. Candace Parker, obviously, for L.A., and then everybody from Minnesota, especially with their Olympians. And, you know, what would it be? It would be like a week break. So I think – for those those teams in particular, I don't think because of their experience, especially Minnesota, their experience being in the playoffs, understanding what it means, understanding how to win those games. I'd throw Phoenix in there too. Um, I don't think rest, you know, would um, would be as big of a deal. I think a team even like New York, while they have veterans, I think uh, you know if they you know they won't be, but if they were a team that had you know was finished first or second and had that long break. Um, I think that's a team that maybe just because of a little bit of their lack of experience of, of making it through and making it to the finals um, might have a harder time with it mentally, but I don't think those other teams will. Yeah. And that's a good point. I mean, you look at the oldest teams in the league, Minnesota's the, the elder of the group. Um, LA is number two and then Phoenix is number three. So when you think about rest and teams that may need rest, uh, that's a really good point. So we're going to be excited to watch the regular season, how it ends, who gets into the playoffs, and then the new playoff system. Before I let you go, Rebecca, I wanted to talk about one more thing. Um, this past Sunday when Phoenix uh, beat L.A. in Phoenix, it was a special night for our ESPN colleague Holly Rowe, who was recognized as the BBVA Woman of Inspiration. And just want to start this out with a quote from Phoenix Mercury President Jason Rowley about why Holly won this award. And then I want to get your thoughts, because I know not only have you been working with Holly for a long time, but you are very good friends. Um, he said it was an easy choice when deciding who to select for this year's 2016 BBVA Bright Future Women of Inspiration. Holly is not only a pioneer who has risen to the top of a historically male-dominated field, but her support for the WNBA, the Phoenix Mercury, and our athletes has allowed us to tell their stories and grow the game for generations to come. Most inspiring of all is how she has not let her current battle with cancer keep her from doing the job she loves. She represents everything we look for in a woman of inspiration, and Holly continues to inspire us every day with her trademark energy, enthusiasm, and smile. And, and Rebecca, you and, and Ryan did a great job. We saw your videos there at the game. Um, very emotional, but what have you seen from Holly during this time, and, and how does she inspire you? Well, first of all, we all anyone who has worked with or dealt with Holly loves Holly because she's such a genuine, wonderful person. Um, and, uh, you know, throughout the course of, of her battle with, uh, with, with cancer, she has handled it like she handles everything else in her life, and that's just with this upbeat personality. First of all, she's the best sideline reporter in the business. You know, I, I was watching uh, her, her first report in the game that you did with her and with the one where she's wearing people's Olympic gold medal and silver medal. Like she, <laughs> yes. it, it, was, it, was the, it was quintessential Holly, just this great report that's telling a story and, and in an upbeat way. And, uh, and, you know, she tells the story so well. This, this is, this is kind of Holly in a nutshell and how she's kept her vibrant and, and bubbly personality throughout the course of this, this whole battle that she's going through now. It's about, uh, it was our last game before the Olympic break and we're at the, we're in Minnesota and we're at the shoot around and Holly comes in and, um, and she said, uh, I've had a little bit of a down morning, uh, but said it like that, you know, I've had a little bit of a down mm-hmm. morning. I said, why? And she said, cause when I was drying my hair, it was falling out in clumps because of her yeah. chemotherapy. And for mm-hmm. anyone else, 
that would have been, um, they would have said it was a lot worse than a bit of a down morning, you know? And right. then, uh, and then she started talking about, you know, how, how she's going to rock some, you know, get home and rock some wigs and find, find some sassy <laughs> right. new styles and just like a typical Holly positive, upbeat and wonderful. And she really, when you watch her and the way she lives her life and the way she conducts her business, no one loves her job more than Holly. She's just a, a pure inquisitiveness about her. She wants to tell the player's story. She's not trying to dig for dirt. That's not what she's interested. She wants, she knows that all these players and teams have interesting, um, fun stories to tell. And, and her goal is to make sure that all the fans at home, um, are made aware of those. And, uh, she, I just love being around her. She, she, she makes life better. She, she makes life better the second she walks in the room. And um, there's not a lot of people out there like that. And it's, it, she just is a special, special person. You are so right and so well put. I mean, once you've been in Holly's presence, you have no choice but to smile and laugh. Even the questions she asks, you're like, she's just so real, you know? And I think that's why the yeah. players appreciate her. You know, watching her interact with Diana, who can be, for some people, very intimidating in an interview situation, but she loves Holly. And, you know, Holly knows how to handle her. So you watch how she works, and she's so good at her job that even recently we're watching her on sideline and you cannot believe that she was battling cancer. Like you, you have no trace of that at all because of just her, her loving spirit and her warmth and how hard she works. So Holly, we are so proud of you. I know Rebecca and I both just are so excited to call you friend, you know, and, and to work with you. And we stole you last Sunday. We'll give you back to Rebecca and Ryan. Now, yeah. We're getting you know? her back <laughs> the rest of the way. <laughs> Dang it, but she, I learned so much with her and just that, uh, from her in just that little bit of time. So Holly, keep kicking butt out there. We're both proud of you and we're grateful for all you do. And Rebecca, thank you for joining. We uh, appreciate having you on Around the Rim. We would love to have you on a regular basis. So whenever we can steal you from Steve and the family, we're going to do that. Okay. So just be uh, now on, that they're be back in notice. school, keep asking. I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time and um, have fun down the stretch. Thank you. You too. Fans, stay right where you are because guess what? Cheney is back. That's right. Cheney Agumake will join us in the third quarter to talk Connecticut Sun, WNBA playoffs. Oh, yeah, and her sister Neca is pretty awesome, too. So stay right where you are. Third quarter. Scouting report. Fans, that's right. It's the third quarter, and we have an oldie but goodie uh, with us in the third quarter. You know, we started off around the rim with this idea from this old Stanford Cardinal who said, hey, we should have this forum for women's basketball. And I said, yeah, let's do it. So we got Tariq on board, and ESPNW bought in, and then she left us. Um, but <laughs> hopefully it's just temporary. Please welcome back to the show, Chanae Ogumake. Welcome back, Chanae. Thank you. I feel like, you know, the May song, welcome back, should be playing right now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I know, back. you're no. right. <laughs> Gosh, we've missed you too. And we've tried like other hosts. We've tried to keep your seat warm. We've tried no hosts. Tarika's been my co-host. Nothing replaces you. Let me just say that. Like, oh, we miss you. You guys... You're just, yeah, I, I paid you guys to say that clearly. You did. <laughs> you did. <laughs> but, but meanwhile, you did your things with the Connecticut Sun who have really been on the rise as of late and put your names on the map. I mean, the playoffs are 
or crazy race anyway. And then here comes the young Connecticut son where, I mean, even in this recent stretch, you've won two of your last three. Um, and before the break, you guys were having a lot of success as well. You beat Minnesota twice. So uh, you're a dangerous team. When we came back, I said, this is the team that's most likely to knock someone off of a playoff spot. What has changed uh, in Connecticut, Cheney? Well, I think it's our attitude. And when Coach Kurt first came, he said that, you know, first you have to have a championship locker room. And I think we took that for granted a little bit early. And um, we're playing individual ball. But then, you know, we made a couple changes and everyone's attitude um, sort of did a 180. We rely on each other. We realized that there's so many teams in the WNBA that has, you know, headline-worthy talent. And we we believe we have the headline-worthy talent, but we have to prove it over time, you know, the next few years since we're so young. So we had to win in the locker room first, and once we won in the locker room, it was night and day. I mean, we're having fun. We um, we just have a good time. You can see us in our warm-ups. People are dabbing. People are high-fiving. Uh, during plays, you know, when people make an exceptional play, our, our bench is going wild. So having that championship locker room has really translated to, you know, our, our mentality on the court, having each other's backs. And I think it's also translated to wins. Uh, we just play hard. We know that we can't do it with one player. We have to all be on the same page, and slowly but surely you're seeing it. And you mentioned the changes and, you know, there was a change to the roster where Kelsey Bone was sent to Phoenix. You guys picked up uh, Courtney Williams, but also just in terms of the pieces you've had on the court, you have been playing exceptionally. Um, and then along with Alex Bentley, who's been better, John Cole Jones has had bright spots. Alyssa Thomas and Jasmine Thomas has, have been, you know, pretty much consistently good across the board. But for you personally, Cheney, um, what helped you to really just hit that next level? Well, I think it was just opportunity, but then also um, I had to be patient because coming off an injury, you sort of want to have that whole Steph Curry coming back in Portland. What was it, game seven, where he, like, dropped 45, yelled to the crowd, I'm back, I'm back. You want to do that. But then you see in the long term, I mean, Golden State losing the series, that sort of stinks. So for me, you know, you want a great moment, but you need to realize that it's a process of coming back. And uh, I think our coach, uh, he told us, he told me to be patient and to be persistent. Mm -hmm. So I was just being patient, waiting for my opportunity, but then also being persistent, working on my skills so that when the opportunity arose, I'd be able to demonstrate what I fought so hard coming off a microfracture for two years. I'm just really happy that, you know, my teammates believe a lot in me, but then more so I'm just really happy to be playing right now because we're having so much fun. But, yeah, it was tough. We had some rocky days. We were up and down. It was a roller coaster. But now it's sort of like the the waters have calmed and we sort of know who we are. We're building an identity and um, it's, it's just, everything is, is come, is transpiring, you know, God willing, the rest of us stay healthy, um, the way we want for the years to come. Well, you mentioned, you know, your injury, but you guys have also been hit with some injuries on the roster. Um, well, Rachel, Rachel Bantam, excuse me, is out for the season. And then Morgan Tuck, they just announced, uh, will be out. So you've lost a couple pieces there, but trust me, the fear of God is in the hearts of the teams that are in playoff <laughs> position right now with the way you guys have played. I mean, your energy is exceptional. You're so fun to watch. You play hard. I mean, you guys being young, I think is to your advantage because you have that college mentality. Like you guys, you D up, you're, you're all over the place. I mean, for some of the older teams, 
in the league, the LA's, the Phoenix, the Minnesota, you're that team that they're like, oh God, we got to chase them around and box yeah. them out. They're going to be playing all extra hard, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, so it's scary, but it's fun to see how you guys have put it together. So look, thinking about the playoffs, I want to get your thoughts on this. So everyone is excited. Some like, some don't like this new playoff system. So the top eight teams, regardless of conference, based on winning percentage, will qualify for the playoffs. But then the first and second round are single elimination games. And there's been a lot of talk about this. Uh, it's like a one and done. We're bringing the NCAA mentality. From a player's perspective, um, what do you like and what do you don't like about the new playoff system? <laughs> so, you know, for, for teams on the lower end of the totem pole, we're all like, dude, all we got to do is slide in the playoffs and anything can happen <laughs> because you're not right. playing a series. You know, you're playing a one and done and we're like, we can be any team once. You know, usually great teams reveal themselves like in the NBA or even the championship series, you know, four out of seven games or three out of five. But if you're telling me just one game, we got to execute a game plan and play as hard as we can with these young legs, we can slide in and, you know, slide in. So um, right. I think for for teams at the lower end of the totem pole, it's sort of like, okay, we can do this. Let's just get in the playoffs. And um, I think on the upper end of the totem pole, those teams are like, man, we have to put ourselves in good position to be to finish one and two so that we won't have that risk of, you know, being knocked out. So I think from a viewer's perspective, I think they're going to be really excited. Like you said, it's going to be like March Madness because you want to tune in to see how your team does that first round because that could be their last game. But then from the player's perspective, you want to work hard during the regular season to put yourself in a position so you don't have to deal with that. And then, you know, from the teams like um, Connecticut here and even like the Seattle's, the Washington, we're all fighting to knock each other off so that we can get into that eighth, that seventh spot, so that we can have a chance to, you know, to shock the world. That's what we've been saying every time we go up against teams that people really completely write us off. So it's going to be exciting. I don't know if I would like it as a player once you're on a top, top team. But for these teams that are fighting to make a name for themselves, you can really make a name for yourselves real quick. Um, and you can yeah. uh, have an impact in playoffs. So that's that's why the fight for playoffs is so real this year. Yeah, it is. I mean, and then you think about the importance of home court advantage as well. I mean, because if you're going to play one game, you probably want that to be at home. Um, just Absolutely. to give you a little bit of an advantage there. So there is something you're playing for, even though, you know, it is a one and done there. But I also like that it's a, it's a five-game series in the semifinals. Uh, previously, it was a three-game series, and now we've gone to five there and then five in the finals. So I always feel like the semifinals team should really have to fight it out to the death to get to the finals. <laughs> so I definitely, yeah, yeah. So I'm really excited about that part. So it's good to always hear the players' perspective. And, and speaking of players' perspective, okay, so coming off of this Olympic break, right, there's different ways your team could respond. Y'all could spend the Olympic break practicing and come back and everybody is better and you've improved and maybe some people that were injured, they come back, they had some rest, that kind of thing. So it's all gravy. Or you could be like the LA Sparks or the Minnesota Lynx who one team had four Olympians, the other had none in a starting lineup, but both come back, they lose their first game. And it's like, what in the world, you know, to rest or not to rest. So there doesn't seem to be a clear cut, like best practice as far as the Olympic break is concerned. But as a player, what is it like? Do you get back on the court and you're like, okay, what is this? Like, I don't even remember what this feels like. <laughs> like, what is that like? Let me tell you, even though you're not in the Olympics, you're going to be working because it's almost like training camp all over again. Now, since we're a younger team in Connecticut, 
we really maximized our time. You know, we were very efficient with when we were competing against each other versus when we're doing drill work versus when we're doing skill work. But I know, like, obviously I have a little insider in the L.A. locker room. They were doing a lot of playing up and down, going up against practice players. So even though you hear Olympic break, a lot of these teams are grinding. And so even though, um, you know, you think that a team should come out fresh for the first game, sometimes, you know, they're really working on what they need to work on. And hopefully those things will get addressed earlier rather than later with regard to making sure you're good for the playoffs. So I think you see teams like L.A. and Minnesota, you know, obviously Minnesota had a lot of Olympians and they had to get square, you know, recalibrate with their teammates. In L.A., they didn't have any Olympians. And, um, you know, obviously they lost too. But it's it's more so you, you have to find a way to balance what your team needs versus what, you know, your team's body needs. So obviously everyone wants rest, but at the same time you have to compete and um, make sure you don't lose a beat. And honestly, I was – I'm not low-key shocked, but, like, we <laughs> Connecticut, we have some grinded practices, and, you know, we have the competitive energy and where we call each other out, and, you know, we had little roller coasters of emotions because you, you're, you're just, like, locked in a box with your team for, like, four weeks working. And to come out <laughs> and to get a big win against Minnesota, I wouldn't say it shocked us but because we, we, we work hard, especially in games, but I think that's a huge confidence booster for our young team coming out of Olympic break, you know, to give us some momentum down the home stretch. Now you look at yeah. L.A. or Minnesota, obviously Minnesota rebounded, but L.A., to start off, you know, 0-2, that's tough. But you sort of want those bumps right now versus later on in the season slash playoffs. So it's all yeah. about the journey and keeping everybody fresh. Well, and Tarika said she's available for these Connecticut Sun workouts. Y'all should have called her during the Olympic break. T, um, I was ready to. You know, I was ready. I was set up. We, we need bodies out here. You know, we need bodies. I, mean, like, I was oh, willing to put on the Drooly come in. I was like, no, nah, we need people what? out here. What? Seriously. I was, I was ready to put on a jersey and be like, you know what? Y'all can practice on me. I'll stand here and, and this was, it's whatever. Let me, let me get in I, on this. I need y'all to call Tarika next time. Okay. We'll put you in the group so, text. We'll put you in the practice yes. players group text. There we go. Put her, put her in, throw her in the drills. So, okay, <laughs> now moving to off the court, Janae, because the one thing we love about you is that you're not only great on the court and you're great as an analyst and what you do on the TV side and on basketball, but you are all-knowing. So if there is any controversy, if there's a great TV show, if there's a new store open that has clothes for tall girls, like you cover all bases for us, right? Amen. So we want to talk a little bit about your thoughts on Colin Kaepernick, who, which has obviously been a big controversy with his decision to not stand for the national anthem until he sees what he deems as needed changes um, as far as uh, the oppression of black people. It's it's a tough one for me. I will start this off by saying, as a as a athlete, I don't ever imagine myself not standing for the national anthem, and that's just me, you know, because of what the flag means to me personally, and it means something different for all people. But you can't decide how someone protests. You can't. It's not up to us to decide how other people see the flag or see the national anthem or how they want to use their platform. So. As an athlete, Cheney, as a WNBA athlete, um, what are your thoughts on what Colin decided to do and just athlete activism in general? Well, first things first, I, I knew something was up when he let his hair grow out and he picked it out because he was feeling proud. <laughs> and, um, he had that fro. Like, he had the fro. Curls. <laughs> right. He has a fro. So I knew something was up. And um, obviously, you know, in our country, it's a trying time. And we, we as a league, especially, you've seen, and the, the headlines have been there. 
where we feel as athletes a responsibility to speak our minds because we feel like we're, we have a platform to really help influence our communities, the youth, and just to be role models to everyone that has a voice, right? So I can understand mm-hmm. his uh, point of view. And I think, I think even though people may not want to agree with it, he has within his First Amendment, and he's doing it respectfully, obviously. He's not, he's not here being combative. He's just sitting. You know, people have compared it to Rosa Parks just sitting. Um, I can see his point of view. Like you said, I'm one of the athletes that I agree. The national anthem, no matter what, is a symbol of, you know, our country, regardless of the highs and the lows. Um, and, and it comes with struggles, obviously, and we've taken some L's as a country, but we've taken many more W's, obviously, trying to promote unity and stuff like that. So our anthem, you, and we're coming off the Olympics where the, the anthem means so much to so many people. Um, so I don't see myself, you know, sitting through an anthem because I know that the anthem does not just mean, you know, uh, it, it's there for good times and it, it, it's there for good times and in bad obviously, right. but I do understand him using his platform. He's in the Bay Area, which was like a hotly contested area for civil rights, obviously. Um, and everyone knows about what happened with Fruitvale Station and stuff like that. So, And the, mm-hmm. the demographics of the Bay. A lot of young kids look to him. And um, for him to use his voice, and you can see, I think there's a, his teammate Eric Reed also sat as well, another player for the Seahawks sat. So it's a peaceful protest. And... Um, Obviously, our, our national anthem is something that we should revere, but at the same time, it's a way to make a statement, and he's using his opportunity to make a statement, obviously. Now, on yeah. the side, on the side though, I mean, my only issue is that Colin Kaepernick, I was in the Bay when the 49ers were popping off. We had Harbaugh, man, the Giants were winning, Stanford, you know, we were doing our thing. The Bay was popping off. The Warriors were on the rise, and um, obviously his career has taken a turn, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that timing, you know, obviously it's it's tough to say, hey, you shouldn't do this just because your career is this or that. But, you know, it it was a big spotlight largely due to this is the only time we have seen him recently because his, his stats or his struggles with his team. So I think that all combined to make a very difficult situation even more difficult. But I give him his props. It takes a lot of courage. Um, and to him, this is his interpretation, and I respect that. And I do think any voice – um, that can be lent to the cause is very, very important. You know, so yeah. I mean, once we saw the it, hair grow, it, basically, we knew where he was. <laughs> we knew. Well, and he's <laughs> responded. You know, I think he's been responsive. He's donating a million dollars, as he announced, to causes in, in various communities. Um, and then he also, there's also been this hashtag, Veterans for Kaepernick. So there have been some veterans that have spoken up to say, hey, you know, we also support him or we're not offended. You know, so it's it's causing dialogue more than anything. Because some people are saying, well, what is he doing next? Well, now he's donating money. I mean, if you use your platform to create conversation, that is taking action. You know, I mean, because he's taking a lot of backlash, a lot of criticism. Like people oh, are yeah. happy. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if he's not receiving threats. Like this is not uh, something you do for attention for fun. You know, like Absolutely. this is this is I'm sure ch- challenging for his family. People have picked apart his racial makeup, so he's been under a his lot opponent, of opponents. Different cities yeah. he goes to. I mean, everyone's going to look at him differently or judge him based on his actions, but. His actions aren't a reflection necessarily of him. It's a reflection of our time. And, um, you know, I think, and you made a good point. Um, I think, you know, with Carmelo, with LeBron, I mean, you've seen different athletes stand up, the NBA, the WNBA, and now it's time for the NFL. And they've been seeing all these things transpire, and they're trying to find a way for them to, you know, contribute. So I can, we're on the same team. 
Yeah, and it it was great too um, to see a lot of NFL players say, "Hey, the WNBA players are doing something. What are we doing?" So I thought that was cool exactly. that the guy hey. took a page for the ladies. <laughs> now, before I let you go, Chanae, and we oh god, we could talk all day, but I have one more thing I have to get your thoughts on, and that's your sister Neca, who is uh, the front runner right now for the MVP award in the WNBA. You guys are very close, so let's let's take the curtain down on Neca, and you tell us, in your opinion. What has been the difference in the way she has played this year and what's really driving this this push where she's put herself uh, in the MVP conversation? Well, you know, the funny thing is I've seen, because I obviously live through my sister <laughs> and I see every aspect of her life, I've seen this build up in the past four or five years. And um, I'm, I'm not going to lie, you know, I'm going to just be completely candid and honest because, you know, whatever, that's me. NECA was working her tail off, her butt off, to try to be an Olympian. And that was her ultimate goal. You know, ever since she graduated Stanford, um, her goal was to be an Olympian. You know, um, she wanted London, but she knew the timing wasn't right, and she desperately wanted Rio. And when that didn't happen, obviously, I don't think it was, like, any new motivation. But I think Mm -hmm. she just transferred her focus to now the WNBA season. And that same intensity that she approached, you know, trying to become Olympian is the same intensity she's approaching winning a championship for her team. And um, over the past three, four years, if you look at her numbers and her stats, she's been an exceptional player. And she's played with Candace Parker, who's arguably one of the best, the most versatile player on the planet, you know, given her size and her abilities. And so um, it's sort of like a Batman and Robin thing, obviously. Mm-hmm. But now I think as, um, you know, the Sparks are, are, are evolving, they're involving each other a lot more. Um, their offense, they know it like the back of their hand. Coach Agler was a new coach last year. And now they're extremely comfortable with him this year. You just see um, NECA just, I think her her laser focus is ridiculous. And it's it's per possession. And it's been happening, you know, since she was in Russia overseas. I watched her practice and really work on her offensive game. She never gives up on defense, which gets her in foul trouble a lot, which we get mad at about as a family. But um, that focus, Mm -hmm. she just brought it straight to the WNBA. You know, she was just laser focused on hopefully, you know, putting herself in a good position to be considered, you know, Olympian. But obviously, you know, everything happens for a reason. And um, I think this year uh, her team is clicking, even though, you know, they've had some bumps as of late. Her team is really clicking. Um, They're being extremely unselfish. They have well-balanced attacks. They have great defenders. They have great offensive players. They have point guards that can shoot. They have posts that can score. Um, It's just put her in a great situation. Um, But more so, I'm just proud of her. Like, um, just what is it? I don't know what she sh- what, whatever shooting percentage she has because we don't follow those girl things, seventy so like to- <laughs> seventy girl seventy. <laughs> we Look, I got like it right here. Anything <laughs> sort of like we yeah. talk about it, you sort of jinx yourself. But um, quite frankly, I think she hands down deserves MVP, and I'm completely biased, obviously. But if you put the stats <laughs> to it, um, it, it to me, it's, there's no question. Um, I think the thing is she's go she goes up oftentimes uh, against players that like you know the U.S. has the best players in the world. The WNBA does. Um, multiple-time Olympians all over the rosters of all these teams. And um, hopefully, you know, if, if she were to achieve this honor, she'd finally get a name where people won't have to question her having to put 70% shooting stats, you know, to, to give her something. I'm really proud of her. To me, she's just doing her thing. She's always been this neck. It's just that I think the stats now don't lie, and you can't ignore yeah. them. Yeah, no, she's been fantastic, and you're right. Let me tell you, there will be no question moving forward on where her position <laughs> is amongst the best players um, in the world because, you know, it's interesting. I've had conversations with Diana. I've had a conversation with Maya Moore and Neka Agumake's name is on the top of both of their lists when I say, 
who has impressed you, who's under the radar. And this was very early on in the season before she's been able to carry out, um, you know, this record-breaking field goal percentage, which I hope she breaks the record. I'm keeping my fingers crossed for that. But, Janae, thank you <laughs> so much for your time. You and NECA both are so fun to watch. I mean, you push the limits uh, when you play, no matter who you're playing, because you're so hard to – you got so much daggone energy. I need some Ogumake juice. Can y'all sell that in a bottle? Y'all all all over the floor. (laughs) Girl, y'all are all over the place. But good luck the rest of the way. And uh, we will be watching the Connecticut Sun try to make this last playoff push. Love you guys. Miss y'all. Keep killing it per usual. We we love you too. And you too, hon. Come back soon and see us. (laughs) Thanks, y'all. Fourth quarter. Out of bounds. Fans, that's right. It's the fourth quarter, but guess what? We don't have a fourth quarter this week. We have had a packed show, Tarika. We have. We have. We brought Chanae back. That was good enough for me. Oh, my gosh. And Rebecca Lobo. I mean, Tarika, do you have anything you want to do in the fourth quarter? Because I'm, I'm good. It's Labor Day weekend. I'm good. Yeah, so we're let, we're letting everyone off for the fourth quarter. Since you get Monday off for Labor Day weekend, we're going to give you off for the fourth quarter. But don't forget every week to continue to listen to Around the Rim. You can download us on the ESPN app, on the Listen tab. You can also tweet Tarika and I on social media, hashtag Around the Rim. Y'all need to start using that. Don't be scared. Send your questions, send your comments. I am at LaChina Robinson on uh, Twitter, and she is... Tarika Brasby. I'm going to get that right before the season's over. She is at she knows sports underscore. So uh, with that, we'll see you next week, y'all. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.